Welcome to Generation Nation, the show that connects the five generations of Americans now living and working together. I'm Bobby Batista. Social media, love it or hate it, but we all pretty much use it. But how well do you monitor what your kids are doing on social media? A recent court ruling in the state of Georgia should strike a certain degree of fear into the hearts of all parents. A three-judge panel essentially ruled that parents can be held liable for what their kids post on Facebook under certain circumstances. Although specific to Facebook, this ruling could set a precedent for all social media outlets. Joining me to talk about the particulars and the merits of this case are Natalie Woodward, the attorney for the young girl who is the victim, and Cynthia Counts, who is an Atlanta attorney who specializes in libel, privacy, and other First Amendment issues. Natalie, let me start with you. Tell us how this case came about. Initially, when the family um, made their way to me, their, their main motivation, their main goal was just to get the page down. They had been unable to um, be successful in getting it removed. They had tried various means through the school, through the police, through Facebook itself. Let's back up because uh, a, uh, a young boy, 11 years old, I think he was, right. created a Facebook page about this girl. Right. They were 13, I believe, at the time. And um, he created a fake Facebook page of a classmate of Alex and posted like it was her making the postings. And then the postings were highly um, inflammatory. I mean, we're talking about KKK videos from YouTube, sexually explicit things, as if Alex was the one saying this and doing these things. And when she discovered it at school, she told her parents. Parents alerted the school authorities. But because of the educational privacy rules, the school could not... Uh, let them know who the child was who had done it. So they weren't able to reach out to the parents and say, hey, this is still up. Please take it down. And because it had happened off campus and not on campus, the school was limited in what they could do about it. So that's the circumstances that led them reaching out to a lawyer. So the important distinction here, though, is that the court ruled that the parents could not be held liable for the kid posting this page in the first place, right? But they but they were held liable because that page stayed up for eleven months. Well, what the court of appeals said is that a jury could find them liable, meaning the trial court had said we're not even going to let this get to a jury, and the court of appeals came back and reversed the trial court and said no, a jury gets to hear this case. A jury may find may, doesn't have to, but may find that, in fact, the parents were negligent in not removing the page. And if a jury finds that they were not, that they were negligent in not removing it once they knew about it, then a jury can award money damages as a result of their failure to act. Cynthia, what kind of door could this open? You know, this is a fascinating case because it is about speech. And it seems to me in looking at it, that the Court of Appeals went, you know, to great lengths to find potential liability here. And the concern I have is a lot of parents don't know Facebook. They don't understand Facebook. Apparently, these parents were not sophisticated. It's a generational issue. I was going to say, how do, you, how do you get around that in terms well, of law? What I understand, and I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that I can't even delete my own account 
I have to get Facebook to delete my account. So there is some separation of ability here. The parents, I don't know, and you can tell me too, if the note even said it was defamatory. It did, and that was one of the um, that was one of really the strongest pieces of evidence in the case is that when the school became aware of it, they the only thing they could do to the children was um, give them in school suspension for using their phone at school because that's how they had taken the picture, and so they sent home a, a page that the parents had to sign, and on it it's it literally used the word defamatory, uh, on you know the, a false um, depiction on Facebook and you know the mother had to sign it and that was our position that the evidence in the case was was that so you know that all obviously knowledge in all these cases is going to be what's debated but the, the goal for the parents I think who hear about this case is like well it's not about whether we win or lose the case it's about I don't want to be sued in the first place right but doesn't this allow then government a means of regulating speech without actually the government regulating, but putting an obligation on parents to determine what is defamatory, what is appropriate, to the extent that it's rude and offensive, the First Amendment protects that. So has the Court of Appeals created something that they themselves couldn't manage, that parents actually have to learn Facebook, they have to learn social media, they have to monitor their kids, because once there's a bad statement made, and what kid has probably not done something at least offensive Mm -hmm. in their lifetime, whether on computers or not, and then they've got to make sure that it doesn't happen again. The court compared this to a golf club and swinging a golf club. I don't see how it's really different from pen and paper. Let's say you have a kid that has a propensity to write ugly notes, nasty notes, that actually are false and defamatory. Are the parents expected to take pen and paper away from their children? Mm -hmm. Because when you look at the analysis of this court, they're saying that the computer is an instrumentality, right, that's dangerous in the hands of certain kids. Well, so is a pen. So is chalk. I don't think the issue is so much about allowing them access to things that they could use to, to make defamatory statements. I think of it more like... Let's go back from a generational standpoint. You know, if, if someone had painted on the side of a barn something defamatory, we're not blaming the paint. We're blaming the parent for not going and, and painting over it. You know, once, once you know it's there and you allow that to remain, it's not a matter of allowing the computer to remain or allowing their Facebook page to even remain. It's a matter of this is really a very small, limited amount of circumstances where we think that parents, yes, should be aware, but... There shouldn't be universal fear. I mean, it's it's basic common sense. You know, you find out something's online that your kid wrote that they shouldn't have, take it down. I have another question because, you know, uh, I agree with you. Parents should be vigilant about that, not that they can be that way all the time. But what is Facebook's role in this? I mean, they do have certain guidelines. And, they, you know, for example, why didn't the boys' parents, once they knew this site existed, and if they don't know how to take it down, why didn't they contact Facebook and, and, and explain to them what was going on with this? And see what burden you're putting on? There's some parents that really do not have any savvy. They don't know what Facebook is. And speech, what is defamatory? What are you going to limit? I've been doing this for over 20 years. And I can tell you there are times that it's very challenging to determine, is something going to be defamatory? There's so much that goes into it. So what's going to happen is parents who hear this will become hypervigilant and That's what the case would suggest you should be. And if they don't know, 
the instrumentality, if they don't know the computers, if they're not sophisticated, then they could be subject for liability. It opens a floodgates. And then let's say your kid, because what the case says is, you know that the kid uses a golf club. So and hit somebody with a golf club, you're not troubled the first time. It's the second time. But here's the thing. At some point in time, the, the, the fact that the parents don't know anything about social media, that's going to become a moot point, don't you think, almost? Because we're going to get, you know, in another 20 years or whatever, when the younger generations are older, everyone is going to know about social media and how it works. And I think it's just a basic premise of if, if you don't know how to drive a car and you don't know how to work a car, don't hand your kid a car. I mean, you know, it, it, that might be a bad analogy, but they're providing the computers, they're providing the internet, and then saying, oh, wait, I didn't know how to operate it, I didn't know how to monitor it. I mean, if, if you're bringing something into your home and you're handing it to your child, the law says that you have some responsibility to um, instruct them on how to properly use it. Well, again, what is defamation, how somebody going to know what that is. That's a very strict standard to suddenly put on parents. And I do not see how it's different than a pen. The problem is we're not talking about physical harm. We're talking about mental harm. And we are talking about computers that are accessible everywhere. So the, the case says, basically, you take the golf club away. You know, you don't allow that child to use the golf club. Okay, fine. Parents take the computer away. Are they vigilantly supervised? And then it still happens again. In this case, nothing happened again. It was just that it remains. So it's the inaction of the parents. They are legislating the parents. They are judging the parents' ability to monitor To this. your point, Cynthia, um, I always thought that in, in libel and defamation cases, you had to prove intent. And so uh, obviously the boy intended to inflict harm. But, yeah, how do you transfer that to the parents? The parents are not liable for defamation. The parents are liable for negligence. The, it's oh, negligence right. on the part of the parents. There's no question that what the child did was defamatory. I mean, you're right. There are a lot of close calls on defamation. This isn't one of them. The issue is for the parents. It's just like any other negligence case. And what is negligence? It's what whether, uh, what a reasonable person would do in the same or similar circumstances. So if a jury finds that they did not do what a reasonable person would do in the same or similar circumstances, then they have the ability to award money damages if they unanimously agree on all of those things. So, yes, I think it is important um, that, that parents take this case into consideration. But, no, I don't think that every time some, a child gets something past a parent you know, who, who's acting reasonably, um, that they should be worried. I mean, these are parents who did not know, you know, evidence in the case is, is debatable about their level in, of interaction. You know, how much do you parents know about what your kids are doing? It's legislating bad parenting. I mean, that's what you're saying, but you're also going to now have parents monitoring speech. And I would ask, I'm curious, has anybody argued yet that it isn't defamatory? I mean, has there been any real analysis of the speech? You know, that's never been any of the issues that have been focused on in the appellate level decisions. You know, the, originally there was a motion for summary judgment filed on behalf of the parents that was successful. We appealed that. It was reversed by the Court of Appeals. And all of those issues were about the parents' role, whether anybody, the parents could be found liable. Did anybody believe the statements were true? Is there evidence that somebody saw the Facebook post and then thought less of the girl as a result. I mean, I can only tell you what we will argue, which, you know, of course, is based on our complaint. I don't think I'm saying anything here that's not public record now. But, of course, we 
you know, alleged in our complaint that it met all the elements of defamation. Before we get too much in the legal weeds yeah. here, <laughs> sorry. In the time we have left, do you what do you think will happen ultimately with this case, Natalie? Uh, ultimately, I hope that um, that it gets its way to a jury. You know, I believe our system is set up, and the Seventh Amendment is is there for a reason. And that when there are close calls, when there are issues of um, folks deciding did did someone act the appropriate way in one way or the other, and what's the damage if they didn't act that way, that you know, that's our system. That's what makes our system beautiful is that 12 folks who live in Cobb County, many of which I'm sure will probably be parents themselves, they're the ones who ultimately should decide this case. Cynthia? You know, I think it's a little terrifying because <laughs> <laughs> it is opening up a way of monitoring speech um, through the state, and I'm not sure what the compelling interest is. I do understand that the child was, you know, embarrassed. I'm sure it was horrible, and I'm very sad that that happened to her. I just don't know that opening parents up to liability and, and when you look at the court analysis of how you're supposed to monitor and exactly what that level of uh, is, um, I find troublesome. Well, it'll be an interesting case to watch, and I'm sure it'll draw even more national attention uh, than, it, than it's got al- gotten already. Um, Natalie Woodward, Cynthia Counts, thank you both very thank much. You. Thank you. And we have an update to this story. The case was appealed to the Georgia Supreme Court, and the justices chose not to hear it. So the lower court ruling stands. Hope you'll join us for our next Generation Nation. If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast. Find it on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And thanks for joining us today. I'm Bobby Batista.